Okay. Boom. We're live. Finally, <laughs> after some some technicalities and little little issues here and there. We yeah, finally... sorry about that. Uh, glad we're up and running finally. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. I mean, we finally managed to uh, to figure it out and and make it work. Uh, it just sometimes happens. It's technology, you know, all of those things happen, and uh, there's not not that much really we could do about that apart from just Skype acting out and not working on your PC. So we we figured it out and made it work with your with your phone. Um, and thankfully we can share a screen as well. So, um, Court, nice to, nice to meet you, uh, talking to you for the first time. Uh, I was actually recommended to, to talk with you by John who works with Proco. And, uh, and, I, you know, I looked at your work and I was like, damn, I have never, you know, never considered talking or, you know, never considered interviewing someone who does caricature. And I always been interested in how the whole process works and, you know, um, where does your inspiration, where the inspiration is coming from, because it seems to me like a very, very different world to what I do. And I'm pretty sure it's very similar or familiar with everything I do anyways. So <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting conversation for sure. I hope so. Well, <laughs> not to bore people to death too much here. <laughs> no, I think we'll be fine. Um, Let's maybe start with just introducing, uh, you know, our audience to who you are and, you know, what got you into art and what got you interested with uh, pursuing the career you're in right now. Well, um, first off, you know, do you want me to try to try to turn on my camera here for, while I'm talking? I'm not sure if it's going to work and go to meeting, but I'll give it a shot. Yeah, sure. Uh, hey, can you see me? Of course. We should be able to see you. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Oh, great. Nice. <laughs> That's a little more interesting than just hearing me. Hell yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, well, I've been doing caricature, illustration, uh, just working professionally for about, uh, well, on my own since 2000 or 2001. Uh, before that, I uh, worked in the theme parks. Uh, I learned caricature, actually, drawing quick sketch caricatures in a, a live environment, which I think is a great training ground, but... Uh, a couple years after starting to do that, I got a little bit antsy and wanted to do something more. And I always was interested in portrait art and fine art, and I started going take, uh, taking classes at a really good school here in San Diego called the Watts Atelier. Mm -hmm. And uh, they teach, you know, traditional art, portraits, figure, landscape, composition, all the stuff you need to actually be a good working artist. And I was real lucky that it was in right in my hometown, and I just took classes there and after a couple of years there, I started to actually teach as well. They uh, saw my caricature work, and uh, Jeff asked me if I could teach a caricature class, uh, which I did. <laughs> in the beginning, it was a little shaky. I mean, I had some experience teaching artists in the theme parks, the quick sketch method, but now I could develop a teaching program of my own for uh, more portrait-style caricatures, caricatures that have more of a realistic feeling, something that where it brings my portrait training together with my caricature training. And, uh, yeah, and that's actually where I met Stan Prokopenko, who I now am collaborating with on my uh, caricature instruction videos. He was a student there from a very young age. He took a couple mm -hmm. classes from me, actually. He took my, uh, my caricature class and, I think, features and facial expressions when I taught that. That's cool. And he's now just excelled to become this just phenomenal artist and teacher yeah. himself. And uh, it's just so fun working with him because he's got this amazing team 
who make me look really good when they edit it all together and <laughs> put music and special effects on it. I could not do <laughs> what, they, what he does. I mean, I really use his model, like the stuff, the methods and the style he established when I was creating my own course for Proco. Nice. Yeah, he, he definitely going to make your stuff look more professional than I do <laughs> with the <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it, I, I was actually you know curious uh, where your um, relationship with Proko uh, came into place because I, I actually gonna have him on the stream sometime soon. It's just a matter of you know finding him finding his time. I know mm -hmm. he's extremely bu extremely busy, uh, so we, we you know I've been going with uh, one of his assistants back and forth trying to figure out when is gonna be the good time to to make it happen. Um, but I was curious, like, how do you guys met? And that's actually explains everything at this point. So, um, yeah. was there, I can have this question that is kind of, might be kind of weird, but I, I always wonder, you know, how it goes through, uh, for, for every artist that I talk with, um, I'm just out of curiosity asking this question that, you know, um, I found every almost every artist has a different uh, different path, but for me, it's very interesting to find out. Was there any defining moment in your life that sort of like set you on the path to be an artist? Like something that happened that you felt like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, I, I know for, for some artists, it just comes gradually, like you grow grow into. Uh, I'll tell you personally, for me, the moment when I realized that I want to do it, that I want to work in this industry, I want to do entertainment design and, and maybe do some illustration work and see where it goes, maybe work for video games and all that stuff, was when I saw uh, a TV commercial for a short film by Tomek Baginski. It was called Cathedral. It was back in 2003 when it was nominated to Academy Award. So I was just like, what is this? What is this beautiful stuff? It's like computer graphics and how people are making it. I was just like, got really interested because I used to draw personally, you know, like back of the of the textbooks at school and just being generally interested in in painting, uh, but never took it too seriously. You know, I usually got into troubles uh, in, in the school by just drawing some obscene stuff. <laughs> My mom would get, you know, called in like, your son has some issues, I think. <laughs> um, so I never took it seriously up until that moment when I just, man, I have to figure out what exactly that is. And that's where, like, I went to that rabbit hole of finding out, you know, about digital art and how things are done and whatnot. I'm just curious, like, how would, how it went down for you? Was it, was it like a defining moment? Did you uh, grow up? you know, learning art in general, what was that for you? Well, I was actually in the parking lot of an art museum when I was struck by lightning. I just say that because it is hard to find a defining yeah. moment. A lot of the times it's just uh, something that you grow into. From, at least for me it was. Uh, I was an elementary school student, probably second or third grade, before I thought I wanted to be an artist. That was about mm -hmm. the time. Because during that time, I got a lot of good feedback from my friends and my parents. Like, oh, you should be an artist. You know how they always say that to kids, <laughs> yeah, you know, to just to be nice to them. Well, I took it seriously when they said that. I'm like, oh, okay, I should do that. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I was one of those t uh, students who would always draw on his assignments if I could 
draw yeah. something instead of writing an essay, I would do that. And I'm like, that kind of would, you know, that made me figure out, I think from an early age, I just always wanted to do art because I liked the feedback I got. I liked the positive results. And, you know, I was not extremely gifted. I'm now more than any other kid at age right. eight or nine. It's just something that I stuck with. And, um, you know, I wasn't an extremely hardworking art student up until, you know, probably my early 20s. You know, I just because I was one of those people who was told, oh, you're good, you're good, you're so good, that I didn't work as hard. And I think that can be a double-edged sword. If you encourage a child too much and give them too much positive feedback, it can dull their ambitions and make them think they don't need training. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I saw other artists that I finally started working with at the theme parks who you know, had really awesome sketchbooks, way better than I had, and uh, you know, aside from their caricature art. And I thought, how do you do? How do you do that? Where did you learn that? And they said, oh, this uh, school here in San Diego, is where I've been going. And I'm like, okay, I need to do that too. And so, uh, yeah, it wasn't. I was probably in my early, you know, mid twenties before I started really taking my art education seriously and trying to really learn how to draw and paint. But yeah, right. the design always been there, and the skill hopefully started to catch up with the desire. <laughs> you just don't know how bad you are until you start getting around other good artists, artists that are slightly better than you or way better than you. Yeah, that's 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 usually an issue. So when you when you I, I I believe you're I think older than I'm than I am maybe I don't know how old are you right now? Uh, just, just recently turned forty three. Okay, yeah, you're way, way older than me. <laughs> way older, nice. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm I'm thirty three. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's it's about a decade distance. Um, so when you were becoming an artist the digital art wasn't even starting like it was it was almost starting it was the ilm times of you know uh the the Knoll brothers and and craig mullins and all of those you know very early adopters of of uh of photoshop where it was just all just starting uh but far far away from where when it became ma mainstream for a regular artist when even wacom or any other tablets were available when i was joining um the digital art movement that, that that stuff was already there the photoshops and you know wacoms and all of that stuff so um the reason I, the reason i ask is because um unless you're exposed to um you know internet today when you're exposed to internet social media forums any of those places uh you quickly realize that there is a big world of entertainment design that there there are artists out there even if you are just using you know your phone with instagram and anything like that you can quickly find a lot of artists out there and you don't have to be smart almost to realize that that's a job you know you, you can just clearly see that that's that's there when i was joining um that wasn't so app apparent you know like you couldn't just find oh i'm gonna go on forums and see what everyone else is doing and i'm guessing when you were when you were in that moment where you started to realize when you were working at the theme park and, and meeting all the other artists that was probably the only avenue for you to really realize like oh there's the world of other people that are better and i was just in that bubble of, of thinking that i'm already good because all of my friends and and uh, family w w were telling me that because they they don't they don't know better right yeah um yeah it's interesting i i'm just uh i i find this to be a pattern between a lot of artists that i talk with a lot of friends that i talked with uh my good friend from naughty dog uh eitan zana was t telling me exactly the same thing when he was in high school 
and he's younger he's like younger and he was you know joining the industry a little later uh when it was more developed he was still on this under this impression that he's just he's the shit you know <laughs> uh and uh, yeah it's it's uh it is it is interesting for sure and you know um i, I my curiosity just comes from like your your own reaction and, and learning so i'm guessing because uh because of the era you, you you went through more of a traditional uh learning experiences right you went to did you go to like a college uh that teaches art how was your how was your path to actually get better from that moment when you realized all right i need to sort of you know invest my time into this a little more than i've been doing so far how did it go down from from there? Yeah, there. When I was going to college in the mid '90s, uh, I went to a UC school, a University of California school, and I just went into it right after high school, not knowing anything about my choices for art university universities or art academies. I didn't really look into it. I just assumed, okay, I'll go to this college because it sounds good, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the art program is fine. It was not a great art program for <laughs> a tradition for someone who's traditionally inclined. It was very avant-garde and Right. Very conceptual. And it was just, you had to take performance art classes. And it was just, it was not me at all. And it really didn't help my art skills in the slightest, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a shame they call that an art. I, I got an art degree and I did not know what I wanted to do, didn't have any discernible art skills at a professional level when I left that school. Yeah. Um, I mean, the art history classes were good. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess I learned something, but I don't know what it was. It wasn't until after when I went to the Atelier that I actually got a decent art education. So, um, you know, I guess I learned what I didn't like and what I didn't want to do in art at college. Right. And, uh, you know, I found the, the photography classes and computer art that they had in the day were more interesting to me. I mean, I couldn't really get into those art, those computer art classes because that wasn't part of the, my course requirements for what I was doing. It wasn't like right. graphic design. Um, so... But, but I did get a chance, you know, in the photography classrooms to, you know, play around with early Wacom tablets and, you know, draw on them. And we heard rumors about digital cameras one day coming out that might be as good or even better than traditional film cameras. But back then it was just wasn't happening. It wasn't, you know, it was just a dream still. So it's kind <laughs> yeah, of it's far, true. Come so far in just a decade after that, you know, to get into the really good digital cameras. Um, but uh, I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say was what was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, your, your sort of like pathway of how, from the moment you realized, you know, I need to get better to where you went and where you went to actual college and you, you, it seems you did, you did, uh, it was, uh, you, you, USC, right? University. Uh, well, I don't want to, you know, talk too bad about my, <laughs> my college, but <laughs> it's all right. uh, it was one of the Southern <laughs> California colleges. Yeah. Got it. Um, <laughs> um, it wasn't that one though. Um, okay. U.S. No, U.S.C. is in uh, in L.A. You you live closer to San Diego though, right? Yeah, I'm in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, near yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think U.S.C. even has uh, art degree. If they do, it's probably it probably sucks a lot, like really I bad. <laughs> I don't think I they have. <laughs> I the only the only art college that I'm aware of that still sort of holds the standard that is really high. And if you go through it, you are going to be prepared to work in the at least in entertainment and industrial design is Art Art Center in, in Pasadena. That's yeah, really the only one that I know of, uh, yeah. especially in California. Yeah, yeah but weird. now 
well, luckily now there are a lot of smaller atelier schools popping up. Um, uh, there's, you know, of course, the Watts School here in San Diego, and then there's uh, uh, Los Angeles Academy of Figurative Art. I think is pretty good. They have a lot of really good teachers there, but uh, yeah. it's 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 course and teachers are like really like there's a lot of them. One thing I did like about the Watts School is that there's a small core group of teachers, and they don't try to expand and be too big. Uh, that way, the the, the the school as a whole has a very cohesive teaching philosophy because all the teachers were trained at that school. Yeah. Um, very rarely does Jeff bring in someone who was not primarily trained there, and so everyone jives with each other. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone there draws or paints the same. It's actually quite the opposite. Every All the teachers there have such different uh, focuses in their career. Like one guy does dragon fantasy paintings. Another guy does horror stuff. Another uh, woman does... Uh, you know, fine art, like historical costume, pretty paintings. And uh, it, it just goes all over the map. And a, a really good foundation school, a school that teaches good fundamentals can let you, it lets you do anything in art, basically. You can take it and go into concept design or yeah. video games or fine art or illustration or graphic design or animation. It just, you got to have good fundamentals before you can kind of do the specialty training, I think. And that's where schools, universities tend to fail people. Uh, young artist is uh, in their fundamentals. It's just it's hard to teach. It's really really hard to teach how to draw the figure properly, you know, in a realistic way. And people might say, "Well, I don't want to draw realistically. That's boring. <laughs> you know, you just get a camera." But it's it. I've always told people that who say that have that kind of argument. Well, you don't want to be limited by what you don't know. You don't want to yeah. be stuck in style because you don't know how to draw any other way. Like I talk to a lot of young kids and they want to draw just anime. That's what they want to do. They draw on draw manga or anime style. And I'm like, okay, that's a style and that may go out of fashion one day and where will you be if that does? And it, I mean, it's those people who studied, who draw on manga, they are good traditional artists with good foundation skills. They didn't just learn manga. Yeah. They didn't learn anime. Yeah. Have you ever uh -huh. looked into, when we were talking about manga, I'm just curious if you ever looked into, you know, uh, how those, those those really good artists, you know, how they are performing, like how they were doing the animations. Have you ever looked into that personally, just out of interest? No, not really. I mean, like those really niche niche styles don't really interest me so much as an artist. Got it. Um, I just like fine art. I like like the golden age of illustration, the Rockwells and Cornwells and um, uh, what you know, the artists of the late 19th century, like Sargent, Zorn and Soroya, those portrait yeah. artists. Figured artists are just so amazing in what they did, and uh, I used to be kind of bored by portrait art when I was like in college. And you know, mm -hmm. I didn't, as far as looking at it, I thought it was well, it's just a portrait. But they really to do an a good portrait like Sargent did. There's so much that goes into just balancing the composition and yeah. working in the middle range of values, and it's just it's so incredibly hard. The more I learn about art, the more difficult I realize it is and the longer I have to learn yeah. <laughs> to, to get to that level you know it's the more you know it's like the more you realize you don't know yeah that's true the only reason I'm asking is because I actually you know out of curiosity because I, I I enjoy anime like good anime not all anime like really good anime especially classics uh from the 90s and 80s like you know Acura and and um Ghost in the Shell those are probably two of my favorite uh yeah. recently uh, blame is a pretty good one but it's more like in the 3d realm it's actually on netflix uh there's a bunch of others that i really enjoyed but acura and ghost and shell were, were probably my favorite also like any anything that came out from uh, ghibli studio and i 
out of curiosity, just looked into, you know, um, how they were making those animes back then. And the level of artistry and art knowledge that is required to create something like Acura is just insane. It's just, it's just like, it's on the level of, as you said, knowing pretty much all of the foundation of art in order for you to be actually good at what you're doing. Because it, it seems like it's all stylized, as you say. It's, it's more of a niche. It's a pretty big niche, especially in, uh, in Japan. But, yeah. And it's getting bigger and bigger in, 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 you know, in Western world. But it's still a niche. And, but you can tell a good one from the bad one. And, and the, 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 the guys and, and girls that were doing the good one usually were amazing artists by themselves. Otomo uh, Katsuhiro, who was the creator of, of, creator of uh, Acura, um, you can actually purchase his book on Amazon called Jenga which is basically uh, pretty much an art history of his, of his illustrations. Uh, he was an excellent illustration, illustrator before he became a director. And he started with very realistic style, like almost photorealism of inks and pencils, you know, um, before he went into stylized work that actually allowed him the, the knowledge of, of, uh, the, the foundation knowledge, the knowledge of anatomy, the knowledge of face, facial expressions and, you know, all of those expressive moments and how you should work uh, with, with, you know, with the facial structures in order to express certain feelings and, and certain emotions. He went through realistic style before he even went into that, you know, manga drawing. And Akira, when you watch it, is actually one of those animes where facial expressions are so rich. You can tell how character feels just by looking at it without even hearing it, you know? So that was kind of interesting. And it was in, in, in connection to, to what you're saying, because uh, I agree with you 100%. Having a very good foundation in terms of whether it's if you want to become enter, uh, an entertainment concept artist, for instance, it's, it's, you have to know uh, color. You have to understand uh, perspective really well. Um, and it just, the list goes on and on before you even start thinking about like, oh, I'm going to use, you know, the photo bashing techniques or I'm going to grab some 3d and ren do some renders with that. It's just like the, it's, those are the just techni technicalities. Those are just tools that allow you to get better or faster, but not necessarily give you the foundation that you're starting with. And I believe it's the same story with car caricature, right? As far as just learning traditional uh, just, drawing first, or? just in general, like if you if you would want to become because you're you're primarily so what is your primary apart from teaching right because that's that's what you spend uh, a lot of time on uh, I assume right you, you well also... lately I mean since doing the Proco course yeah I mean mm -hmm. I haven't taught at the Atelier since 2012 I think okay and a couple years after that is when Stan asked me or about a year later Stan asked me to join in on his uh, uh, gotcha. projects. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I primarily work, I'd say, as uh, in illustration and party entertainment, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I still do live caricatures at events, but lately I do them digitally on a on a Wacom tablet, and where I project it on a big screen, and uh, that's uh, kind of a big seller lately, and uh, um, it's actually a pretty good income. It's hard to turn down. It's, uh, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't spend a few hours at an event, getting a good paycheck, and then you can have the rest of the week to, like, work at home and do that's other cool. projects. That's cool. Yeah, so uh, I could say it's a yeah, balance between live entertainment, art caricature, and uh, commissioned work from people, and then uh, illustrations for you know, publication, and whether right. it's just a small magazine job or a book cover or something like that. 
yeah, I might be I might be sound, sounding completely ignorant when I'm when I'm talking about those things because it's just such a and such an alien world for me. You know, it's <laughs> like I primarily sit in you know video games and and film. Those are the industry that I spend the most of my professional career in. So, um, learning you know other industries is just always like, hmm, what is this this whole thing all about? You know, so it's kind of interesting. And that's uh, you know if I ask you like, hmm, what is this caricature? thingy that you're doing i hope you're not taking it as a as, a, as an offense because <laughs> i just literally don't know <laughs> well you know i do like to try to clear up conceptions about what caricature is whenever i can um sure you know, I, be I belong to an, uh, a group actually the international society of caricature artists and, you know sort of an unspoken uh, goal of the group is to expand awareness for what caricature is right um and i actually have a broader definition of caricature i think all art is technically a form of caricature gotcha. and it's really obvious when it comes into concept design video game design when you're doing characters like say you have to do a demon character yeah that's essentially still a human character but with caricaturized traits you're you're changing consciously something about an average person uh to make them more into something scary or you're caricaturing a woman's body to make her more voluptuous and feminine and that's that's a caricature where you're heightening her femininity and beauty Mm -hmm. uh, you know, something like the Incredible Hulk, you're heightening the masculinity. That, the Incredible Hulk is a caricature of a bodybuilder, essentially. Yeah. And you know, so caricature is everywhere. To me, caricature is just an intentional change you make to a subject, and whether it's to fire your portrait subject by lengthening their neck a little bit to make them look thinner, that's a form of caricature. Uh, I happen to do mostly caricature where the goal is to make uh, someone laugh, you know, to be sort of humorous proportions, but still make it extremely, the likeness is, is, is sort of enhanced. And that's what uh, tradition, well, what most people think of as caricature is where the likeness becomes even more obvious so mm -hmm. that the caricature drawing can look more like the person than they look like themselves. Right. Because the, the basic concept of what a caricature is, is like when you're drawing it, the goal is to uh, make those traits which are different from the average more obvious to the viewer. So if someone has eyes that are closer together than the average, in the caricature, they get really close together. Um, if their jaw is bigger and larger than the average, even if it's only a millimeter or two, if you can pick up on that difference, make the chin even larger. Uh, and it's, so you're constantly switching around and changing and stretching the relationships of the proportions in a way that makes a person look different from that average. And by the average, I mean that diagram you usually see in most art instruction manuals, like in the Loomis books on the head mm -hmm. proportions where there's you know, one third division between the features and the eyes or one eye width apart. So I, I go off that as my basis of comparison when I'm looking at whoever it is I'm caricaturing. Oh, wait, I just taught everybody how to caricature there. Nobody needs to see my course now. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's the founding principle, and it's really easy to understand. It's just kind of hard to imp implement, and there's a lot of exercises you can do and procedures to improve your skills at caricaturing for humorous purposes. Uh, but I think caricature is a great sort of experience for any artist to have based on just the fact that it allows you to control what you're drawing more consciously. Right. You don't want your work to be artificially or unintentionally distorted where an eye is up higher for no reason other than you're sloppy. <laughs> you want to yeah. be conscious of the procedure when you're drawing it, you know, do those crosshairs when you draw the, the, the alignment lines in. You know, that's part of my caricaturing process that I teach actually is how to get something that's extremely exaggerated. but still looks like it could exist in three dimensions. So if you're looking up this way or to the left or right or down, the features will be aligned properly in, in space, but on a really extremely exaggerated head. 
Right, right. And I think that could be helpful for anyone who's doing kind of an illustration or humorous art or concept or video game design and anything like that. Animation, too. And all animated characters are essentially caricatures of real people as well. I was about I was about to mention like one of my friends um, that when I was when I was learning to become an artist and you, you know I, I'm I'm basically self taught like I didn't go to any art school um, I just I personally just didn't have money and and didn't know what to do that was that was just one of the reasons uh, uh, coming from the from the Eastern Europe and you know growing up there and trying to figure everything out. <laughs> Um, yeah. But one of my friends, uh, he was actually one of the guys who was working with Tomek Baginski, the you know the guy who actually inspired uh, me to become a digital artist. Uh, one of my friends was his his friend, and he actually worked with with him on that project that was so inspiring to me. And he was more of like a animation. He he does very sort of caricature esque uh, characters, very sort of distorted, uh, but more towards the animation style rather than like regular sort of caricature look and one of the things i remember he told me was um because i because i was like super inspired like doing you know animation stuff and drawing you know out of proportions uh characters and you know weird monsters creatures and all of that stuff i had like a period of time where i was trying to learn that and he was sort of like mentoring me during that time i remember and one of the things he said, learn proportions first. Like, learn how to draw the actual character and learn how how anatomy works. Because if you don't do that, then you're just intentionally making proportions wrong without even knowing you're doing that. You're not focusing on uh, expanding specific features of the character that, you know, are responsible for expression or, you know, uh, exaggeration of expression you're doing it because you just don't know better. So I remember that stick to me. Uh, and he did mention Andrew Loomis, matter of fact. So there you go. Andrew Loomis did a pretty pretty amazing job with with, uh, with his books. I highly recommend them, uh, as you do, I'm pretty sure as well. So that's that's interesting. That's uh, it's it's if the interesting part here for me is that it seems to me that you are. Uh, your work and uh, the industry you're in is, although it's different to, let's say, video games and film, there's so many similarities that can be just cross crossing over. They're crossing over constantly, and that's that's what I that's what I find intriguing. It's almost like talking with you and listening to what you're saying. It's almost like confirming uh, my assumption here. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, I did. I did a bit of film work myself um, a few years ago. I did a bunch of uh, character designs for a film project where mm -hmm. they wanted to do animated film uh, using the actors who would be providing the voices. I'd be doing caricatures of them in their roles. Uh, you know, I can't really say who. It's still in development, I guess, technically. Right. Uh, but uh, they, they came to me because they liked, I guess, how I did sort of realistic-looking, three-dimensional-looking caricatures that could be extrapolated by a 3D renderer. So I worked with their animators and designers to uh, create, you know, some of the stars for this movie project, and uh, you know, in caricature form. And we worked, we tweaked, you know, the exact level of exaggeration a lot. So, and that was a, that was a fun learning process for me actually being involved in, a, in an actual film, you know, a visual development project for a while, um, just on a freelance basis. Of course, I wasn't really in the yeah. studio thing, but 
Uh, it got me, well, actually, no, it didn't get me an IMDb credit, but uh, if it ever gets published, I guess it would. Well, I, I did a few movie posters, too, so I'm on IMDb for that. But the movies, That's you cool. know. What, what posters of, did you work on? They're really, like, low-budget, raunchy comedies. Like, uh, one's called Skid Marks, I think, <laughs> if that says anything. And the other one's, uh, oh, it's like a Kentucky Fried movie-type movie where it's a bunch of, like, skits that gotcha. are sort of gross, gross-out comedy. Uh I can't remember the name of that one right now. Uh, but every, I'll, when I'll, I'll get, find you. I'll find you on IMDb and check it out myself. I'm I'm just curious because it's just like, you know, just curious. Really, really, really just that. Uh, yeah. I, I've realized, honestly, the more I've been in the film industry, the more I realize that credits, although they matter for, you know, having maybe more opportunities to work in better films, especially with the studios, it's usually the fact that the, the bigger the films you work on, Uh, usually the more connections you get and therefore more work you're getting. But just mm -hmm. even just outside of that, just disregard, disregarding that part. And I understand it's pretty important to have connections. And you know, I've been there, done that, and I understand connections are important. However, um, the more I've been working on films, uh, the, the more I realize it's really, it really doesn't matter how big the film is because usually the the bigger the film and the bigger, the bigger success of the film is, uh, it's usually, it usually ended up being something that I hated working on or was not enjoying working on as much as I would enjoy working on something maybe smaller or more satisfying that ended up being just a crappy movie, for instance, right? So it's, it's kind of weird. It's like you're working on something you're working on the film and you're having a lot of fun, you know, there's a, there's a group of people that you're interacting with and, and it's all going really well. When the movie comes out, it's like, you're scratching your head. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> What went wrong? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's intriguing. Um, yeah, it's, you know, foundation is out. Because I, I personally teach as well. And I, I, I've started actually teaching about two, maybe two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, I think it was three years ago, the first time I actually had teaching experience. Um, and the more I've been having interactions with students, the more um, I've realized that, you know, uh, foundation is important. And the more I want to teach something that is foundation related, the more I realize like, Hmm, there's a lot of things I just don't know yet and maybe I should you know investigate or spend more time into diving deeper into that and it's it's, a, it's an interesting experience I wonder what your experiences with teaching are right now you're doing more of a tutorials or do you have like any kinds of mentorship programs or anything that that allows students to have in, like personal interactions with you or it's more more of a video format It's primarily video tutorial lessons um, that are more, they're very casual and conversational, although every line, every word is planned out and scripted ahead of time, mm -hmm. and I edit them down so that they're very concise and they're not any more time than what needs to be taken, because I hate watching, you know, really long videos that, you know, for an hour or two, uh, <laughs> just trying to get the nuggets of information or the artist rambles on because they're just talking off the cuff. It's just harder to sit through that sort of thing. So most of our tutorials are, like, five to ten minutes for the main lessons and I you know just we could flash the video the examples and time lapses of the demos and then there's a lot more there's sometimes longer versions of those videos slightly longer versions in the premium version of the course uh, and also many more additional 
uh, demos where we do time lapse and narrate everything. And the narrations are all scripted as well. Like I'll watch my own time lapse instruction over and over again, stop it, write some stuff, write, you know, stop it again, play it some more, write some more. And then I'll record that narration and they incorporate that at the Proco Studios into the lesson or into the demo. So almost every single thing is narrated and it's, it's only as long as it needs to be and no longer. I don't want to waste people's time with lessons. Yeah. So it's primarily that, uh, but ev after every main lesson, there is a student critique video. Uh, so where I'll take like 10 or 12 student works where they submit them on the Facebook caricature group, and uh, which is set up just for the people walk, you know, viewing the Proco videos. I mean, it's public. Anyone can join it, um, even if they're not members of the premium course. And I'll pick, I'll pick student submissions, and I'll do a session down at the Proco Studios in front of their uh, desk and just talk through problems that people are having, draw right on top of their works and address issues that I see in the drawings. Uh, and that's a lot like what I did at the Watts Atelier where you come up over someone's shoulder and say, oh, okay, you know what? Your eye's a little low here. You really need to just lay in your construction lines. You know, just mm -hmm. you give them very detailed, uh, personalized critiques uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And of course we can't do that with hundreds and hundreds of students um, with the format we have. So we, we pick some selective students, you know, we try to make different students every time. And right. people who watch the critiques at home, even if their work isn't being critiqued uh, personally, they'll probably still find lessons in the other people's works. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm having that problem, too, they'll think to themselves. I have mm. a problem with distorting the legs on the drawings, and I see now that's how you fix it. So they're relatable, and I think that's a really important part of the teaching process and learning. You know, the, the, watching the videos is very passive unless you're you know, actively doing the homework assignments that I give at the end of each lesson. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people do do the homework and then, you know, then they feel probably pretty cheated if they didn't get some kind of feedback. So, but yeah, we sure. do definitely make a point of doing the feedback. And every now and then we do a contest where one person might win, um, you know, a one-on-one -on -one Skype session with me where I'll spend a while talking to them at length about their work and what they could do to improve. We did that once. We'll, we'll probably do it again, you know, giving away a one-on-one -on -one session. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And, you know, maybe uh, after we finish uh, this podcast, um, you can just send me the links. I'll incorporate them in the, in the, you know, in the description of the of the video. So anyone who's listening to it, they can just go down and, and check out the links to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Maybe get more people interested with it, too. So the um, people watch live, it's proco.com slash caricature for my course. Oh, perfect. There you go. And Stan has his courses on there. Stan teaches the more traditional, you know, head drawing, figure drawing. And right now he's in the middle of this extremely extensive anatomy course where he's going over every portion of the body step by step. And it's it's taken a while, but he's doing it very, very thoroughly. So and that's yeah. an amazing course. And uh, anyone that take that wants to do caricature really well, I do suggest that they study traditionally how to construct the head, at least. Yeah. If, if not detailed anatomy, at least get the procedure down for learning how, how to construct the head. I think yeah, it's very important. I was about to ask you when you when you were working with students uh, in the atelier and when you were working with some of those submissions from the Facebook group, uh, what is the m what is the most common uh, mistake you see uh, when it comes to you know the submissions to 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 the work that you you're seeing and reviewing? Um, not knowing, not seeing how they're at their desks drawing. I can only guess that. They're being sort of maybe rushing through things and being a little sloppy mm -hmm. in their construction and maybe not following the step-by-step -step procedures I outline and how to construct the head from, you know, and the caricatures have this very methodical process that I've developed my own workflow to help me improve. And 
and I incorporated those into the fundamentals of this course where it's, you know, you start with a thumbnail sketch and you, you, then you do a rough sketch to flesh it out a little more. Then you do sort of the Riley abstraction. Actually, I teach the Riley abstraction as part of my caricature course as a, you know, it's a portrait drawing technique, but it works really well for caricature. Um, and then there's like a final drawing after that. So I'll tell them usually go back to the construction phase because basically I think the biggest problem is most people's structure is really bad where, you know, someone's eyes up here and the other eyes down <laughs> there and it looks like a melty face. Um, and the same thing with the body. We, you know, we have a course, we have a lesson on caricaturing the, the figure as well. And people seem to have a lot of problem with that. And um, because there are a lot of variables to consider when drawing, especially the figure, there's the gesture and movement of the pose and then there's the construction of the anatomy, and then there's the folds and the clothing on top of that, and does it flow nicely into the head? Some people draw these gigantic, huge heads with tiny stick stick bodies, and I know that's people tend to do that because that's what they see in caricature of big heads <laughs> and little bodies, but I teach in this course more of what you could use in caricature illustration, like if you get a cover of a magazine and they want a politician on it, you can't do a head that's ten times the size of the body, it's just, it doesn't work out, it doesn't, you know, yeah. it's you got to keep slightly closer to human proportions when you're doing high-end illustration, I think. Um, they can be definitely oversized, because that's funny, but not too big. Um, so, yeah, I guess construction, and, and people tend to really have a hard time with likeness when they start exaggerating. Um, either they try to exaggerate too much and they miss the likeness entirely, or they get a decent likeness, but then there's no exaggeration, and it's not very funny at all, because they're a little bit scared of losing the likeness. Right. And that's that's what it's like in the beginning. It's not easy to do caricature, uh, to do it well, um, it's a, because you've got to worry about all these variables. That's why in my courses, in my lesson, I break down the variables into different steps. So for this one, just focus on the, the exaggeration. For this step, just focus on the construction. For this one, just focus on the rendering, now that you've got the construction laid in. Um, and I think it help, breaking it down into baby steps makes it a little more accessible to people. Um, it's just, uh, I, I like methodical approaches and I like formulas, right. at least in the beginning, uh, formulaic uh, ways of building up, you know, from a simple to something more complex, uh, I think is very, very helpful. And then later on, when you get more advanced, you can ditch the formulas and be, definitely be more experimental because uh, the formulas are part of the fundamental training. And that's what it all goes back to is learning good fundamentals. If you're a musician, you have to, I mean, I'm not a musician. I don't know what you have to do to be a good musician, but I assume <laughs> you have to practice your scales on the piano. Yeah, you have to practice for sure. You know, and learn how to read your music. And, you know, I don't know how to read music, but that's part of your fundamentals. Before you can be a good jazz player, you have to, you know, learn traditionally, I think, first. Maybe that's not true. I shouldn't say that. I'm <laughs> not a jazz musician. I, I, I remember from music lessons, uh, you, when you're reading notes, you know, uh, usually you have, like, the naming convention for each of the notes. And then the more advanced you get, it's like the names and some of the symbols disappear. And you only get the the notes themselves and then mm -hmm. you get like extra symbols that mean something like maybe some transitions and, and whatnot that are just like black magic when you're starting i, I yeah. guess it, it could be a you could compare it to to what we do in art where when you're starting with um with foundation it just becomes your bread and butter and it's just such as it's almost like walking and and thinking right it just becomes like a mechanical process for you where you know you're gonna do it pretty much anytime you're starting and you're painting that's going to be a process you're going through because it's just engraved in you after you know countless of times of of doing it over and over and over and over again with the right you know step by step process so i guess that's what you're talking about just sort of like making those synapse connections in your brain that this has to happen in order to that to happen 
so that later on you can actually skip it because you know sort of like those steps already by memory and you can just like visualize the result of those few extra steps you know in advance so i think that makes a lot of sense it does it does definitely make a lot of sense uh, in concept art where you know when you're starting and you're learning you would start with you know maybe laying out perspective lines and if you're working with 3d starting with like boxes and sort of general layout and then going into detail step by step almost like you would do with the with the canvas where you start with know major brush strokes and then you go into detail slowly but surely um but then eventually you you, you can skip that step entirely and you know because you can already visualize that so i can definitely see that as a as a pathway yeah makes sense makes sense and, uh, uh, you know, i had a teacher and mentor once i took some private lessons with and he pointed out the a lot of the similarities between uh, formal art education or just art in general and music there's a lot of overlap in the terms and the ideas mm -hmm. like we use the term composition to describe a piece of music as well as you know a, a composition of a paintings the way you arrange yeah. things in space there's notes of color you know you use when you know you're dabbing colors on the canvas there's uh, gosh there's rhythms in the you know the abstraction lines we usually call them rhythms because they sort of measure out the major landmarks along a path the way rhythm and music sort of sets the beat of the music there's harmony with the colors just like there's yeah. harmony between the, the the different voices and the notes uh so there's uh it's kind of poetic when you think about it how much art has in common with music on that abstract yeah it know. does when you look at the um when you look at uh principles of the design pretty much any any single principle of the design could be implemented in both areas you know as you say rhythm balance notes all of those things are parallel almost so that's true that's true um i'm all I've, I've been always curious because uh, you, you know as you teach and you you see those mistakes that happen one of the questions that popped up to my head was uh where do you start with with the character like let's assume you you, you understand uh, the basic anatomy you, you sort of understand the construction you know how to construct faces and um and the more obviously you practice the the more you master it but how do you find those features of likeness that you want to exaggerate in order to make the likeness even more more of that specific character right mm -hmm. where, where do you find those features what do you focus on when you're when you're searching for them well i I think you mentioned before about how you start with the big ideas first, the big brush strokes first, and work your way down to the details. And mm -hmm. I kind of approach caricature the same way in that I look for the biggest shapes first and how those shapes differ from the average. So essentially, it's the head shape is what I look for. Primarily, when doing a caricature in the beginning, I say, how does my, how does my subject's head differ from the average? Um, you know, how does Kira Knightley's head differ from Jay Leno's? Well, they're kind of like exact opposites. Her high head is, you know wider at the top and narrower at the jaw, mm -hmm. if I'm remembering her right. And then Jay Leno's like really wide at the jaw. So their head shapes are going to be very, very different in caricature. And yeah. once you have head shape established, it actually, and, and it's a really good head shape. And if, if you can see a likeness in just the head shape without even drawing the features, you know you're on your way and that's a good uh, good head shape. And then you just got to kind of plug them in in the right spots. And, uh, and that takes some experimentation. Even I still do lots of different thumbnail sketches searching for the right combination of feature alignment. Uh, the head shapes also I, I tend to play with in the thumbnail sketches. So, uh, I mean, I, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that's generally the way I approach every caricature. I start with a loose, quick thumbnail, 
of the biggest shapes first, and then I don't really worry about the details until I get to the later stages. Even like when I get into the rough sketch, you know, in the, in the next stage, I'm just basically trying to then refine the likeness. And if the likeness isn't there, I'll try to compare it up against the photo and figure out where I went off. You know, and it might be in the tilt and the angle of the eyes is off, or it might be, the, you know, the, the length of the filtrum maybe needs to change to increase the likeness. And right. so I'll do some tracing. So there's some searching as you're drawing. You know, it's a very fluid process. And the development of the likeness continues at every step. You know, the next step after my rough sketch is I, I do an abstraction overlay on top of it where I'm tracing rhythm lines over the shapes of the rough sketch. And I'll even I'll make alterations at that stage. And then I'll trace my final drawing over the abstraction and still make changes if I can, think I can improve the likeness or, or heighten the exaggeration in some way. Uh, so the more time, it's kind of like iterations on a drawing, like in visual development for a film project or a character. The more times you draw it, you change it slightly each time, hopefully with better results. Of course, you know, you're just in your studio alone doing caricatures, whereas in a you know film, you tend to have to get, I guess, probably feedback from the art director and other people. Right. I sometimes have to work with art directors, too, but they're not usually concerned with the likeness or the exaggeration. They leave that up to me, and if they can recognize who it is, that's good enough for them. They, they're not too picky. They just want to make sure that... Uh, the, the story is being told, you know, whether it's a po political statement being made, the editorializing of it, uh, right. it is clear. And uh, so art directors, in that sense, are kind of more easygoing when it comes to caricature, as long as you know your stuff, and as long as you kind of make it look like the person, they don't really care about the level of, exa of exaggeration. Got um, it. Got it. it makes yeah. sense. Because I was, uh, I was always under impression that it, it start. I guess it's, I guess it's different by artists. Um, because uh, it seems that you're starting with already exaggerated shapes rather than starting with the, f the form of something that's already existing and then going from there. Like you're not distorting. Um, let's say I've seen I've seen some of the caricature caricature art that it's, it's been brilliant, but it starts from where the photo is and then it comes into those exaggerations like liquefying in the directions of exaggerating exaggerating forms and all of that stuff where it, it sort of like the base is already there but you're just like trying to experiment what makes more sense in terms of how you're going to characterize that existing base it seems to me you're working in more of a traditional way where the sketch itself is the starting form and yeah it makes it, it it's more difficult i would say and uh, and i guess the more rewarding at the same time yeah i since I got, I mean, I, I, I did caricatures before I started taking good portrait classes at the Atelier. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I did start taking those classes, it, it really affected my work in that I had a better procedure and process for developing it, for developing the caricatures. And, uh, and that's, that is how I kind of teach it. But there are a lot, there's so many different ways to do caricatures and so many styles that, you know, you don't need to do my process, you know, the way I do it to do good caricatures. Some people do very simple cartoony animation style caricatures. Yeah. Some people do caricatures that are so insanely distorted and stretched, you almost have to think and look at and decipher it like a puzzle. But then once you see it, you're like, oh my God, that's, uh, that's Paris Hilton. I can see it now. <laughs> Even though it's like there's an eye up here, there's an eye down there, and there's a lips over, and it's almost abstract, like a Picasso caricature. Yeah. And I mean, they can be just two. beautiful when they're yeah, when they're well done. They're just amazing to look at, and I could that's not way out of my wheelhouse. I uh, I'm definitely more traditional in how I approach it, uh, but uh, that, that kind of makes it difficult too when you're uh, in teaching people and critiquing their work, because if 
they have a style that's drastically different. If they want to do a more cartoony, simplistic style, I have to sort of shift my own mode of teaching to try to figure out what they were trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, how well did they achieve their goal of doing a simple animation style caricature or a comic style caricature? Uh, and I don't try to you know fit them all into my mold and make them you know draw just like me because that'd be kind of boring. Um, so that is one of the difficult parts about teaching is when they get a little more advanced, they tend to want to branch out and do different styles, and you got to yeah. figure out how best they can do that style and figure out ways that they can improve it. Like you know, how can they apply the the Riley abstraction, for instance, uh, to improve this abstract you know a character that is already abstracted. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's the, I guess the joy of teaching too, is it's, it's always sort of different and, uh, always surprising. It is. I mean, I know it from experience of learning and, and being a student myself where, uh, I constantly want to learn something. It's, uh, you know, even now when I, I've done so many things already and, you know, you might assume like, oh, you, you, you're on the, on the good, you know, path of, you know, your career. Why are you, why are you spending time learning new things? And I do. <laughs> just like to go with times um but the things that i learn is like you know when you learn 3d and the first thing you're going to do is go find tutorials and and good material on how to work with the ui and what the tools are and how to master the tool and you know usually it starts like modeling some trash cans and stuff like that right Mm -hmm. and um and i usually go just like start with the trash can but it then turns into like a spaceship or a spaceship or something you know and yeah i can i can totally tell that sort of judging uh, a student by you know their own approach is it might be a difficult thing because you you have your own style of working and you have your own path of you know how you go um how how you go by things and h- how you you know develop uh, the whole process from start to finish but i would guess i would guess uh, i mean from what i understand from what you've been saying so far i guess the most common denominator for pretty much any critique would be the foundation at this point having a solid foundation and starting with that. Yeah, that is key. That's, I mean, because there's so many possibilities and so many styles and genres of art um, that sometimes the only thing you can critique is if they have good fundamental skills and choices yeah. that they've made in the construction of whatever it is they're doing. Um, and then on top of the, you know, the, the style and the personal expression of it is just the, the dressing. It's just the curtains, you know, on the house. The house has to have a, that strong foundation in order to stand upright. Yeah, it's it is even even for a lot of professionals, it it is a hard pill to swallow to know like hmm, the foundation has to be there and has to be right. I find uh, by working with students uh, that there's quite a big subset of people that just want to find that one that you know uh, that recipe. Like if you follow those steps, you, you're done. Like you, you know, everything, you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to practice, just follow those steps and you're, you're golden, you know, like this is the shortcut to, to a success, you know, that kind of, that kind of deal. And there are, there are some paths where you can create something really visually stunning, but that's going only to be this one thing. And the moment you get, you know, asked like, can you change, some of the aspects of that thing that's when it becomes problematic you know and i would assume it will be same with caricature where if you would have a student that say draws something that looks beautiful but then you ask him hey can you change the angle of the character or the angle of the face by 45 degrees in a different direction and maybe the expression from being sad to smiling 
for someone who found that shortcut for this one specific illustration, that's going to be going an impossible task. Um, do you find that often with students? Do you find them like trying to find this one sort of click solution or I don't know? No, you know, in my experiences at the Atelier, when I taught people in person and then so far in this online course, I haven't seen people, you know, sticking to, uh, I guess maybe there are a couple that stick to these tendencies, these maybe comfort zones that they don't want to get out right. of as far as angles they typically do. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's thankfully kind of rare. I mean, I, a lot of the students will try profiles and front views and, uh, and interesting expressions and, you know, they have a hard time with them, but at least they're trying and that's way mm -hmm. better. You're trying and failing is way better than, than being able to just doing that same three quarter view every single time you draw somebody <laughs> and doing that well, because that's going to be, that's your, uh, that's going to be your weakness is, is, is being able to adapt and, and uh, do something a little different from that. And, uh, and that shows that there's a lack of fundamental skills there. It means they just memorized how to do something really well in a certain way. And, and they're going to stick with that. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, that, that's pretty rare. I don't, I don't see a lot of people that have that tendency. Mm. Thankfully. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be more rare in an atelier environment where I guess someone who goes to atelier, you can tell that they're more committed versus online. Um, it, it yeah. is, I found it more difficult online. Actually, when I was teaching in, um, in, because there are a couple of like you know smaller schools, not not necessarily ateliers. There are more like digital digital uh, art schools in mm -hmm. LA. The first that I started teaching in was Red Engine, that was run by my friend uh, Steve Jung, who now is uh, actually one of the art directors for for the Universal Universal Studios. Um, and um, I remember, yeah, it was it was kind of weird to find. You know, there was there was definitely a subset of students that were very committed to to learning, but there was also, I don't know, it was it was a weird mix of of very ded dedicated students and those who were just sort of like, this is cool, I'm gonna try it out, but I don't, you know, I don't have energy or you know, uh, motivation to follow through and and actually go uh, really de deep into learning and and becoming an artist. Let's put it this way. So I was, you know quite of an interesting experience i think it's more apparent in online teaching than uh, in on location because on location also means it's more expensive very often and you have to go there on a regular basis and that's a, that's a commitment on, on its own so um but yeah that was one of the reasons i'm asking Do you, and also I, i'm curious like what would your reaction be like let's say you have a student that is very stubborn and like uh, this is sort of like going back to their antics of sticking to that you know comfort zone like this is the, the style i work in and i don't really want to change it because it works for me and you said the key words that i, I really like which is try and fail <laughs> um how would you break that sort of because i know a lot of students that i work with uh are afraid to fail there's a lot of people that are afraid to to post images that they don't like, like, you know, the things that they, that went wrong and something just didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm one of them too. Honestly, actually, you know, yeah, I do a lot of, a lot of work that I never post because it's just so shitty. <laughs> yeah, no one, I mean, no one's going to benefit from seeing my really, really bad sketches. Right. Yeah. 
But how would but I know you what you're talking about? There are people that uh, yeah. Well, go ahead with your question. Yeah. Yeah. How would you approach a person like that when when you would want to encourage someone? Hey, go there and fail. Like go and fail actually millions of times until you succeed. How would you motivate a person like that? Probably just by showing them the results by doing it myself. If hopefully I can do it correctly too. Like like as an example, a lot of people, myself included, have uh, sometimes difficulty drawing foreshortened figures or foreshortened limbs, like something's coming at the camera or at their viewer and to make it look correct in three-dimensional space. Sometimes the models in our, our atelier school would, you know, lie down on the ground and face us, you know, just like, ah, I don't want to draw that angle. That's a terrible angle to draw. But you know what? That's the angle you need to draw if you think it's a hard angle. Um, and, if, and if someone doesn't want to do it or if they just give up after doing it because they think they did a bad sketch, just sit down and say, well, you just have to do a lot of repetition of foreshortened limbs and foreshortened figures until you get better at it because there is a way to do it. You know, yeah. you still have, just apply your fundamental skills to it. Don't let it freak you out. Don't let you because know, sometimes you just get in your own way. You get in your own head thinking that, oh, wait, this is a really difficult head angle. You know, someone looking up their nose like this with their eyes, you know, next to their nose. How am I going to draw that? Well, just do the good fundamentals that we taught you. And it shouldn't matter what angle the head is at. You, it, you should still pull it off if you're doing it, you know, if you have good, strong fundamentals. It yeah. all comes back to fundamentals in every time. And if someone doesn't do it, it just shows that they're kind of not committed to learning being a better artist. And maybe hearing that advice is might be, a, you know, shaming them into practicing more. <laughs> shaming think, into practicing that's cool <laughs> i should try yeah, that I mean, more I often shame, i don't know shame's the right word but inspiring through you know criticism <laughs> right uh, uh you know i think that's one of the main pitfalls of online learning you know following digital academies on online and classes like my own is not sitting down and doing the work long enough you know when yeah. you're in the atelier you're coming every week for a three-hour class and you're drawing the entire time you know, if you're taking a couple classes a day, you're drawing six hours a day. You know, if you're sitting at home, you're not as motivated to draw six hours a day because there's no one watching over you. You're not paying for that time. If you're paying for a time in an atelier and it works out to be like 50 bucks a class for whatever the tuition is, you know, like you, you're going to want to spend that time learning and drawing and making the best of it, making the most of it yeah. because you're paying for that. Um, when online classes are relatively cheap, there's an attitude of, well, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll do a couple sketches and, and post those online and, and then, you know, maybe I'll do the assignment next week. I'll do a couple more sketches. You got to do, I mean, I, I don't know what the magic number is. It's probably different for everybody, but you got to do yeah. hours a day of practice of the assignments you're given because it's, it's just like going to the gym. You know, you can't, if you go to the gym and watch your trainer show you how to use the machines and lift those weights, you're not going to get strong just by watching those demonstrations. <laughs> I wish it worked that way. <laughs> you got to do the repetitions yourself, and the repetition is boring. You know, yeah. uh, drawing, learning to draw is really boring sometimes, and it's frustrating because you're not going to get good results at first. And then when you will get good results, this is the other the phenomenon I talk about sometimes with students is the plateau, where uh, maybe for a year or so you're doing. You're making good, steady progress. You're starting to like your drawings. You like your drawings even more and more each day. Then you get to a point where your drawings just suck all of a sudden and you don't <laughs> like them. And you think, I can't draw anymore. What am I even doing here? I'm a fraud. And what it is is you've hit the plateau where your eye and brain have actually made a really good leap forward in, in, in ability and being able to see when things are off. And yeah. but your hand hasn't caught up with your eye yet. And, and so your drawings will they'll look bad to you 
but then you'll you'll start climbing up the next mountain to the next plateau where you're going to actually see better progress until your eye makes that next leap forward and then by the time you you're going to reach the mountaintop eventually you just have to go through a few plateaus where you think you suck for a while but that's a good sign if you if you're going through a period where you think you suck that means your critical thinking abilities have actually made a good leap forward and you're actually way ahead of the game when you when you're at that point that's a very if you interesting think point awesome all the time that means you're actually probably a really bad artist <laughs> yeah you're like in your own bubble thinking like oh everything is all right and then someone comes in like oh nope <laughs> it's not it's a very interesting point you, what you said it's like when you plateau that means you're your brain caught up to the mistakes you make and you start to see them but your hand didn't yet just yet very 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 smart way of, of looking at it because i i always you know just to be clear every artist go goes through the plateau every artist has the, their moments where they think and I, i guess most of the time we actually think that our work sucks like even today when i look at the work that i do i sometimes you know uh torture myself and go on the art station and check like what what is the new work uh, that is out there what what are the kids these days doing you know those 18 19 year old kids doing today and i, I look at the works like i'll be out of work in a couple of years <laughs> based on what i see and it's just like it almost seems depressing but at the other on the other hand it's also motivating uh for for more progress and uh You know, you're gonna have those moments when you when you're an artist and you think your work sucks or it's not there or you plateaued, you're not moving forward, there's nothing going on. It's usually it's a very refreshing way of seeing seeing things, as you said. Because I never thought thought about it this way. I always thought like, yeah, you kind of have to power power through or take a break, small break, like focus your mind on something different, um, or try something completely out of your out of your realm of of the possibilities of what you're doing so far and maybe that will spark like the engine again and, and make you more sort of progress and I've, i think i've been coasting through the work that i do that way where i would do something plateau and then let me try something else and see if i learn something from from there that i can incorporate to my work and come back with like better skills or you know new new subset of tools that i can use to to better the work so very very interesting way of looking i've never looked at it this way honestly and this is very interesting interesting thing it's also come i don't know what you don't you don't you think that um in, in relation to what you said that you sometimes just have to suffer through boredom and just like oh it sucks but i have to power through it in order to actually take any kind of happiness out of it anyways Yeah, you know, all the failures will make those few victories even more sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, some of the most helpful classes I ever took were the ones that were just, I just hated going to, like uh, figure quick sketch, where you're doing two, three, five-minute poses for three hours straight, and it's just so many drawings you're filling up in your sketchbook, and uh, none of them look good, except you start to notice by the end of the semester, they are starting to look better because you're watching what the teacher does and yeah. and the more you get better at it, the, you, you see you're drawing the gesture more fluidly and more accurately. And uh, that's the only the kind of thing that you get through doing good repetition. Like in the gym, you just, your muscles will get stronger the more that you do it. And it's just quantity, you know, quantity with, you know, good instruction with someone yeah. looking over your shoulder, hopefully telling you where you're going wrong. 
because you know there is such thing as practicing badly too, where you're just reinforcing bad habits. So hopefully yeah. a good teacher will show you where where you're where you have bad habits. But um, yeah, if yeah. you go to the gym and and do it with the wrong form, you're just gonna get injured. That's yeah. that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, that's true. I, I I think I had this moment of realization that something that looks impossible is achievable if you do it step by step. Uh, when I started running for the first time. Um, and I started running because I was heavily overweight. <laughs> mm. uh, that's That was one of the reasons when my back just gave up. I went to the doctor. The doctor just said, right out, you're fat. <laughs> you're fat. You have to deal with that. So uh, I started running. And in three months, or I think it was three or four months from from 30 seconds of run that I could do at most and then we'd be to totally exhausted and had to walk. You know, you do it in the intervals. When you when you want to become a runner, you do intervals, ba basically. And you just, like, increase the amount of run versus versus walk just steadily week by week. And four months later, you, you can... Like, in four months, you can, from a position of being a couch potato, you're going to run five miles. You can, if you dedicate and do it every day for at least 20 minutes a day and you just like power through those moments of those obstacles where I don't want to run anymore, but it's just like half a mile more. Like let's, let's a couple more minutes, a couple more minutes and, and you reach that goal. Like let's try two more minutes, you know, so like breaking those barriers of, of your mental, your mental blocks where you feel like your body is giving up, but you still have that energy. You, you feel it. If you if you just power through it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Four months, you, you you're a runner. You're like you're literally a runner, and it it is such a great parallel to art itself. Like when you you want to become an artist, and you look at uh, your biggest inspirations, it seems impossible to get there. Like I will never be a painter like that guy. Probably not. But you might be someone who's equally good if not better if depending on how much you dedicate into it you know um but granted it's gonna be a long ass journey <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. a journey without stopping never ending journey almost uh at this point so mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a very it, it it's it's a topic that you could go on and on and on and on <laughs> and usually the the answer is gonna be always the same practice 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 it's, yeah it's not an exciting answer it's just <laughs> what it is it's what everyone has to do to get good there's no yeah. such thing as you know i yeah, i get really angry when people tell me you know well i mean i know they mean it as a compliment and i'm not saying it happens all the time but they say you're so talented you just have such a natural <laughs> talent and it's just i don't want to go into the explanation but talent is a myth there may be some people who might be maybe easier they can pick things up easier and mm -hmm. maybe are more adept at certain skills, like maybe someone is more genetically predisposed to, say, play football exactly. uh, or golf, but they're not going to be good at football or golf unless they practice their fundamentals over and over again and train yeah. day to day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of an insult when they when they say you're talented and they refuse to hear any other answer. I'm like, well, actually, it's kind of like learning an instrument. I wouldn't be good at drawing if I didn't practice all the time. Like, no, no, it's just an inborn gift. I'm like, okay, screw you. <laughs> No, I don't say that. But, I think it's uh, they do mean it as a compliment, but it's so insulting to all the practice I've done and all the hard work I've done to get yeah. to wherever it is I'm at. And I just, you know, I try to debunk the myth of talent whenever I see it pop up. You know what like it is. You know what yeah. I believe it is. It's it's the myth of overnight success. It's what you see on TV, where you 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 switch on and 
Facebook is such a big company, billion, billions, billions of dollars. They're, they're killing it. Or, you know, Google is making billions. Well, it started somewhere and it was usually, you know, years and years of grueling work that just seemed like it's going nowhere. Same with Beatles. Like Beatles, before they became super successful, would play in pubs and bars for like many, many yeah. years, every night night by night by night they would just go to bars and play music and it sucked no one was interested until they got so good by just the sheer amount of practice that they did that just clicked you know uh and it's the same with with art you have to have enough practice um i used to believe for a while you know the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hour sort of like rule mm-hmm. in you know uh in quote rule yeah. um but the more experience I have, I almost feel like it's somewhere in between. So it's not really a talent, but it's not really only practice. It's a combination of nurture, how you grew up, what kind of elements of your the environment that you grew up with, how they influence your mindset and how this whole cocktail of, you know, your genetics, your your genetic predispositions you know maybe your brain is firing faster when you're drawing because like you know maybe you're genetically big and strong and you become an you know nfl player whatever um there's usually good predispositions for you to be better but you will never be in that place if you don't practice enough obviously so it's like a mix of having a good amount of practice and and dedication and things that and things and inspirations that are around you and sort of like shape and form your life and i think the more uh there is actually science that is coming out that you can grow new brain brain cells that you can remodel your behaviors based on repetition and it just comes down to art as well like you, you if you can remodel uh, things based on repetition and the way you perform based on repetition which you can obviously then perhaps if you're not making a progress in art itself there might be some elements of your life that are stopping you from dedicating yourself into a positive practice or practice that makes much more sense you know uh, you know you can have a bad practice where you're doing something you believe you're practicing but but it's not necessarily not necessarily going in the right direction, like you know, going to the gym and and doing something over and over again, but with the wrong form. You're just gonna develop more issues than 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 benefits, right? So, yeah, it's definitely definitely there, and it's it is insulting when you feel like, oh, you're so talented. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, I cannot be this or that because you have talent and I don't. Um, it's just yeah, it's very hard to motivate people and just to find that moment where. You're trying to explain something, but they don't trust into, you know, what you're saying just because of sort of like this myth of the talent or something like that. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, dude, uh, I we've been talking for an hour now, almost. And yeah, it's time is flying. There's there's few questions that people ask along the way. Um, if you want to jump to that and then, then wrap it up after, afterwards, or, or if you have any topics you still want to talk about, we can, we can continue. It's really up to you. Uh, no, I guess not. Um, by the way, can you see me, my screen where I'm showing some of the images? I'm not sure if it's sharing properly. Uh, um, I can see the Lord of the Rings stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, in case people no, yeah, you, I, I've okay. seen you switching some of the images. So those are really cool, by the way. 
So yeah, just, funny. <laughs> we were talking about movie posters earlier, but these weren't the ones that I did for the actual movies. This is these were just private commissions from an individual. Mm-hmm. I did a few of them where they just hung them up in their home theater, um, and they just paid me to create them for them. They wanted caricature versions of popular movie posters. So right, I, I had a really good time doing these, and I'm very proud of them. They're just you know because I, I was able to sort of back engineer the techniques and the, the surface quality of like the textures in the painting uh, that was in the original movie poster. I had to figure out how to get the Elvish writing in there and compile everything all together uh, and, and then do all the billing block at the bottom with the titles and credits. That's all sort of, I had to do that by hand and I had to find out what font was used. So it was a fun detective, uh, you know, project where I had to figure out how <laughs> things were done and how to accomplish it. I have another one here that I did for the client. There was a star Wars one I did and this Lord of the Rings. And then um, I also did the matrix here for him. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, cool. just fun little pieces. So, you know, just try to, you know, honor the original movie poster, but uh, yeah. caricature it. No, stuff would be kind of fun to look at. That's not, anyway. that, that looks like fun, dude. That looks like a, like a fun stuff to work on for sure. Yeah. Because it's like reinterpreting. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I'm actually uh, curious, uh, in your line of work, do you do more of uh, sort of like... Uh, offline commissions where you go to the events and you work uh you know almost working live or it's more of like you know online work where you get commissions uh from clients and then you get deadlines and you just you know work from your own studio well i spend more time in the studio but more of my income comes from the parties which is kind of a nice balance because the parties are just a few hours at a time sometimes a couple days if i'm doing a trade show right um and sometimes I go out of town, you know, in other cities to do them. And uh, so, I don't know, it's just, it, I guess the time-wise, it, it breaks down. It's kind of, it's very irregular, my schedule. I mean, I, I sometimes get two weeks off without an event at all. And then I can work on personal projects or a commission that I've had sitting on my desk for a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely could do more commissions. I don't do a whole lot of them. I, I mean, right. I price myself a little higher than the average bear, I guess, just because I, I know how much time I put into each yeah. one, even a simple like watercolor sketch um and maybe it's not so simple i mean i do a lot of sketches to prepare for it and i refine it and i do iterations until it's actually good and then i spend a while actually painting it and there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes so i don't you know i don't do quickie style caricatures when i'm in the studio at all because i don't like to i like to really make something look as yeah. best as i can as good as i can in the studio when i'm working live those are two or three minute sketches and each person gets in the chair and gets out and uh, it's a form of live entertainment more than a form of art, really. Uh, much like a right. magician or DJ or something, it's kind of like a magic trick. Uh, but uh, but I have fun. I do have fun doing the live stuff. But my passion really is in the studio and painting. I love oil painting. I think most of all, uh, I, I do a lot of plain air painting. I do portraits for people sometimes, like straight up portraits with no exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually working on a commission right now for somebody, and it's they actually wanted me to paint from one of their old photos that to them always looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. And I kind of agree it does. I, I actually I can't talk about <laughs> it as a gift for someone about what it is. But uh, so they want me to reproduce Norman Rockwell's painting style. Got so I'm it. doing it on, you know, on a linen canvas and, you know, working on it from the photo. And it's just, it's a great time. I really enjoy doing that most of all. As far as that's what I get my most passionate, you know, feelings about when I'm sitting in the studio. Uh, but I, I, I would love, I'd love to switch more to doing fine art, and, you know, traditional art and, you know, caricature paintings in the studio and do less of the live entertainment because um, while it's good money, it's not as, it doesn't uh, entrance me as much as sitting in front of the, the painting easel. Yeah. Makes sense. 
I, I, I guess when you work in a studio, you also have more freedom to experiment and, and really try things, you know? There's actually one of the questions that uh, sort of relates to that, which is, uh, do you think that, what do you think about illustration style trends going in circles? Basically, you know, you, you can see you're seeing same stuff over and over and over again. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's progressing in any of the directions. It's more like stagnant. Do you have that feeling when you look at illustrations or what students are doing or, or, or professionals are doing? Um, I mean, I guess that's not an observation I've noticed. I mean, I've seen an evolution over history, you know, from, you know, the golden age of illustration on to branch out into all these different styles that are now acceptable from, you know, mm -hmm. the, the level of drawing from, you know, simplistic graphic style illustrations to, you know, the fantasy rich illustrations like Frank Frazetta or the Dean Cornwell's, that, that's still, there's still a market for that. There's basically a market for everything now. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess there was a time when certain styles were more in vogue, like the, the thing that comes to mind is the Drew Struzan posters that were so popular in the 80s, they kind of reached their peak and they, then all these other copycat artists started doing that. Well, studios probably wanted that but didn't want to pay Drew Struzan prices. And so that, that style sort of, you know, petered out, you know, even though I still mm -hmm. love looking at his artwork, I wish they would bring back that style, honestly, because there's not enough of it. There's too much digital photo montages in, in movie posters these days. And it's kind of sad because the, the, the Drew Struzans of the world, even the copycats were still were doing pretty good work. Yeah. Um, so maybe that will come back and cycle around to be more popular again. Um, but yeah, I guess I don't have a lot of insight as to the world of illustration and the different styles because I'm not super plugged into that. I mean, I don't flip through magazines or get on a lot of the online, you know, the deviant arts or whatever mm -hmm. that's it's going on. I mean, I'm just kind of in a little bubble here and I, uh, <laughs> you know, I see stuff on social media posted by people I know and that I follow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I don't really expose myself to a whole range of artistic styles in illustration. Right. Makes really sense. Happen. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, to me, it's an intriguing question because I, I think I agree with the... It was actually a question asked by Anastasia. Um, and I agree with, with her observation, especially when it comes to entertainment design. It's, it seems like it's, a, it's like a, a copy of a copy of, you know, of a remix of a remix almost, you know? Like everything seems to be... And, you know, I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The, 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 the kinds of work that I'm doing, although I'm trying to be as creative with my work specifically and try different things as I can, at the end of the day, I know it's pretty much the same medium all the time. So um, it definitely it's, it's more stagnant than, let's say, if you, if you look at the history of art and, you know, and you, and, you, and you look at the difference between medieval art versus re Renaissance, right? when the Renaissance is just so vastly different and, and, and more realistic or, or better. Um, or when you look at Baroque, uh, you know, kind of style, or even Impressionists, which completely deviates from the realism, right? So th those styles, as they were developing, uh, they were becoming so distinct, distinctive to one another um, that you could tell, oh, yeah, it's completely different. Whereas now, today, it's almost like I guess all of the ground's been covered <laughs> or mm -hmm. most of the ground's been covered and it's really hard to find uh, something that will just break through as, as completely new and fresh. I, I almost believe that it, it will go, it will come through mostly through uh, hardware and software development and, you know, new ways of, of uh, how art is de delivered to us, you know, or how the medium is changing. 
whether it's VR or AR or any any anything like that. It's a wonderful painting, dude. Oh, thank <laughs> very you. very timely. <laughs> yeah, I released it on election day last year when it, uh, it was still up in the air as to who was going to win. So <laughs> we don't know how that turned out. Now we all know. <laughs> Uh, another question was, um, let's see, um, trying to read through the comments. Have you ever looked at shows like Family Guy or American Dad for shape inspiration or research characters made by creators like Mike Judge, Matt Gruening, Seth MacFarlane, uh, I always, I'm so bad with names, Seth MacFarlane, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. I love those cartoons. I mean, I grew up watching uh, Simpsons, and uh, of course, Family Guy now is I think funnier. But, <laughs> um, but no, no, I don't really. That's not really my, in my area of interest for mm -hmm. how I want to draw or paint. Uh, so I just watch them, and I'm a I'm a consumer of that kind of entertainment. But uh, I don't really incorporate it at all or look for, for inspiration. Um, I do admire sometimes when they get someone like on The Simpsons, like a celebrity, and they try to draw them in the Simpsons style. But uh, in a way that captures their likeness, it's not always successful because you know yeah. people in the Simpsons world don't have chins, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to get a likeness when you're when you're locked into that one style. So maybe if I wanted to be an animator on the Simpsons, I would study that. But you know, I don't have a need to. I just enjoy what they produce, and uh, um, I mean, I just I do find inspiration in very different areas, though. Like I love the different styles of illustration art out there, and. Even if I don't necessarily incorporate it into my work, it still influences me, I think, somewhat. Like, John Cash is a really fantastic caricature illustrator who does these very smooth, very refined-looking watercolors. And they're almost mm -hmm. graphic, but they're still rendered and shaded in a nice way. Uh, but they're so... The impact of them is so great because they're so simple that they just stand out against the white background. And sometimes I try to incorporate that into my the way I designed the silhouette of a figure standing against a white background. But I say I also love the realism and delicacy that someone like Jeremy Lipkin, a fine artist, puts into his oil paintings. And so I've always got these battling influences coming into my brain about how I want to, how I want my work to look. It's like, I think sometimes I want to paint like Lipkin today, or sometimes I want to yeah, be Lip more King like Ash. And it's, yeah. Um, so, I mean, my, you know, it's a, whenever I paint, it's always a battle in my head of all my, influences are bouncing around that are all vastly different styles so maybe in that sense you should probably limit the the, the number of artists you look towards for influence uh, or maybe focus on one style for a while like maybe if rockwell inspires you for a while do some paintings in the style of rockwell do some actual studies of his paintings and try yeah. to copy them and then move on to someone like uh, you know frank Rosetta or jeffrey jones and or craig mullins and try to paint like them for a while and uh you know a teacher once told me that uh your influences, your artistic influences, are sort of like um, the hammer marks of a, of a sculpture, working a metal sculpture. Every influence is going to come tap its influence into you, into a different way, into their own way, uh, to the point where, in the end, you'll be this, you know, using the analogy of a metal sculpture, you'll be a result of all those different influences working together into this new style. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the more you can limit sort of your exposure towards one specific influence and maybe focus on the things that are very unorthodox the more sort of diverse uh your style becomes right so that's something that i've been saying quite a lot it's like i personally stopped looking i do look at uh, sites like deviant art and art station mostly to just admire art 
rather than find inspiration. I, I, I almost rarely ever look at other artists' work anymore when it comes to creating my own work. I used to do that a lot because like, I always like, let's find some really cool concepts that inspire me and maybe somehow I'll come up with, it, with, with an idea uh, to what I'm doing. And it's a very easy or, or it's an easier, lazier way of, of creating your own art because then you're sort of like relying on those shortcuts that you're hoping for. Whereas when you're like trying to do, remove that noise and, and really try to find true inspiration to what you need to do, that's that's when it becomes challenging. So looking into nature, for instance, is always always usually better in terms of the results because then you start to understand a little more about the world itself as well. You get to understand function and you know expression, all of those things that matter for for your art to grow, basically. And yeah, it's very similar to what you're saying, though. Uh, yeah, it's like maybe stop looking at those cartoons because. It might just turn out that your work's gonna look like that at the end of the day. So, agree with that. Agree with that. <laughs> uh, cool. I think we can wrap it up here. Um, there's maybe one or two more questions, but they're very similar to what we've been talking about, and some of the questions have been answered by just mere fact of our conversation. So, um, dude, it's been fun. It was very nice to meet you uh, in the first place. I should thank john and proko for introducing uh myself to you because for me it's a it's a different world and it's it's been sort of a refreshing experience to talk with someone who's not in the industry that i work in um it's always it's always sort of like my idea is just to talk with as many people as i can and and try to find out where are the inspirations coming from what are the you know similarities and differences and i can tell there's like some common grounds we you know that we fall into in terms of um uh you know foundation and whatnot and it seems to me like your industry is not really that far off or what you do uh it's not really that far off to what, what i do it's just like a slightly different perspective that makes it feel like it's a vastly different thing so it's very it's very very interesting experience for me for sure yeah and uh i mean it's i mean i know it's just like you know, listening to someone talk who's doing something slightly different from what you're doing can be uh sort of inspiring and just yeah. the ideas concepts that are presented not necessarily that you wanted someone's going to rush off and do caricatures now but <laughs> you know attitudes maybe i have or a perspective on something can help like i love listening to podcasts where like maybe a musician is being interviewed and they're talking about you know how to deal with online trolls or you know <laughs> finding inspiration for their music you know that's you know lessons and advice i can i find extremely valuable even if it's not directly related to what i'm yeah. what i'm doing in my work um, do you do you have any oh, do you have any podcasts that you would recommend? Do you like listening to podcasts? By the way, you Just know, out of I'm curiosity, really a creature of habit. Once I find one, I latch onto it, and I don't really listen to others. But it's it, mostly I listen to the Nerdist, uh, okay. Chris Hardwick. It's just he has such interesting guests on and really long, interesting conversations on a variety of subjects. Um, and then I listen to it's kind of nerdy, but I listen to the Away with Words podcast. Their mm -hmm. radio show actually on public radio where they talk about language and word origins and phrases. And that's just not really related to art at all. I just find it interesting and entertaining. And yeah, <laughs> that's really um, cool. That's really cool. One I got really hooked into. Uh, I mean, apart from Radio Lab, that is probably one of my favorites of all time. I guess Joe, Joe Rogan podcast is is up there as well. But Radio Lab has really, you know, it's more like a scientific uh, oriented 
uh, podcasts that ha they have so many interesting topics. But the, the 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 most recent one that I found really interesting it's it's mostly because of running my own business, running my own uh, you know art school, online art school is uh, how I built this from NPR, where they invite mm. they invite um, uh, CEOs and and people who who founded those those really successful companies to talk about their you know their origins how they built their their businesses and what they went through and it's kind of funny because almost everything we've talked about today uh, uh, when it comes to practice and and you know and plateaus and failing and, and sort of like finding the reward after hundreds of failures it's just like resonates so directly with those people you know like people who the guy who started uh let's say uh whole foods he, he went through so many nightmares for so many years before he even succeeded and actually built you know the brand that he wanted to build it's just like very interesting parallels even though there's a completely different businesses and completely different sort of branches of of life uh, i find it really interesting very sort of mind expanding so definitely good recommendation i'm gonna try out nerdist and the other one you talked about i'm probably gonna re-listen to our our stream to find out what, what exactly that was uh because mm -hmm. i'm always interested in looking for new things but uh what i wanted to do is thank you for joining the stream uh thanks for yes. accepting the invitation it was was really fun to talk with you and um you. yeah you know i should i should actually mention stan will probably kill me if i don't I, that uh, my part two of my caricature course, the more advanced lessons, are uh -huh. going to be released soon. And uh, we're actually about to start the pre-sale where until I think it's June 26th, uh, you can get part two for a pretty decent discount. After that, it jumps back up to normal price. So uh, cool. uh, my the fundamental course, the part one is already all on YouTube. It's actually, they're on YouTube. You watch them for free. And part two is also going to be released on YouTube. So but where, course, where the audience can find this? Would it be yeah, on the Proco's channel? or It's on the Proco channel on okay. YouTube, yeah. And then, of course, if you want to get more in-depth lessons and additional demonstrations and more and longer student critique videos, they're going to be on the uh, proco.com slash caricature website. Okay. So that's I'll make sure those links are in, uh, included in the, uh, in the description for people to know. Uh, <laughs> cool. Good plug. Uh, I, suggest, uh, I suggest looking into those because I, I really like your work. I mean, people can could see... What you did here, um, or uh, you know, the, the examples that you were showing here, those are those are great. By the way, uh, I oh, really thanks. like your work, and um, I like your approach. It's very, very, very solid, um, and it's uh, you know, it's it's good to learn that that stuff. So, cool. All right, let's wrap it up, guys. Thanks for thanks for listening, joining in, and uh, being here with us. Until the next time.